0: Good morning again. I invite you to take your Bibles and open to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. We're going to continue here in our mini-series, Two Ways to Live. Last week we looked at verses 13 and 14. Today we're going to look at verses 15 through 20. As you find your way there, there's an update on a few things uh, in regards to our project, which is happening. Um, We have the windows scheduled. Well, they're going to let us know, <laughs> Lord willing. It'll be uh, in the next several weeks here. Uh, they're going to come and, and replace the windows. And so once that happens, things will really start to move. The piano, new piano, is on order. So we're waiting. Uh, it seems like a lot of people want pianos. There's about like 20 on the list, Pastor James. But thankfully, we got bumped up because we're just really nice. Uh, now they give preference to schools and to churches, and so we're thankful for that. So I think we're second or third on the list. So that's that's coming. Uh, the, the color committee uh, is, has been meeting and looking and talking and not asking Pastor James and I what we think, which is good. Um, no, they are, they are hard at work, and then once we get that figured out, we'll get chairs ordered. So it is moving. It may not look like it, but it is moving, and Lord willing, uh, it will be happening happening soon. So thank you uh, for praying, and if you, uh, if you had questions, hopefully that answered it there. And then one other part of our project was a gift to the Micoshes, uh, our missionaries, Rick and Jamie, uh, up in Canada. And uh, we were able to send that uh, a couple weeks ago. And uh, Rick sent me a very nice email. I posted it back on the bulletin board, so read that if you'd like. Uh, but they were just so thankful for us and, and our participation with them. Uh, they send, he sent me a really cool video or show sometime of the new lodge already going up. Uh, and it is, it's a drone footage, and it's amazing over the lake, and you just come down, and it's just cut right out of the woods, uh, their new campground. So it is really neat, and we'll, we'll show that sometime here in the future, uh, but they are very, very thankful for our, our partnering with them uh, in their ministry there. So if you found your way to Matthew 7, let's pray, and then we'll begin our message this morning. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here and to worship you, Lord, to remind ourselves in the daily rhythms of life, Lord, of who you are. That everything in our lives is there because of you. You allow everything in. <laughs> and Lord, you're using all those things in our life to make us more like Jesus. The good, the bad, the difficult, the easy, the blessings, Lord, the hard times. You are using them all to make us more like Jesus. Help us to see that, to realize that, and ask ourselves as we go through life, Or not just how do I get out of this or get through this, but what are you teaching us in the midst of this? Lord, we thank you for your promise of always being with us. Help us now as we come to your word. Instruct us, teach us, challenge us us to be more like Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Have you ever had a piece of fruit that you thought looked absolutely delicious? It looks so good. And you bite into it, or you peel it, or you cut it up, and inside it is rotten. Probably the worst experience is picking an apple off of a tree that looked really good, and I bit into it, and it was complete mush. I think there was a worm or two in there. It was, it was awful. Like, <laughs> that's the proper response there, Ezra. ugh, right? Or you buy something from the supermarket, and you're, you're looking, and you're like, is this good? I don't know. Like there's a the classic joke about a watermelon or a muskmelon. How do you tell, like, if it's good? Right? You knock on it. You look for the colors. You know, you bowl it down the the aisle, shading to the left. It's not that good, you know. Sometimes you look at fruit and it looks really good, and then you cut it open or dig into it, and it's disgusting. And immediately you want to throw it away. It makes you sick. Now that fruit might be bad because an insect got into it, or it fell to the ground too long, or it's just old. But sometimes you pull a fruit off a tree and and that fruit looks good, but it's disgusting because the tree itself is diseased. Maybe it's not producing as it should. Maybe the fruit isn't ripening because the tree itself is bad. And how would you know the tree is bad but by looking at the fruit? In Matthew 7 here, Jesus is continuing at the end of the Sermon on the Mount comparing two different things. Two ways to live, right? Living for him and his kingdom or living the way of the world. Last week, we looked at the two paths, the narrow gate and the wide gate. And this week, it's those who bear fruit and those who do not. Either you do or you don't. There's no middle road. Here in verses 15 through 20, Jesus is speaking specifically of false prophets, false teachers, people who proclaim to speak for him. But yet, by their fruits, they do not. And though Jesus is speaking as a warning to his hearers of these false prophets, it's also a good application for us to look at our own lives and say, what kind of fruit am I producing? So as we come to our passage this morning, our big idea is this, is the validity of those who speak on behalf of Jesus will be known by their pattern of their lives as well as their words. The validity, the truthfulness, the trustworthiness of someone who speaks on behalf of Jesus as a teacher, as a disciple, saying, do this because Jesus did this, or this is what God's word says, the validity, the trustworthiness of that individual will be known not only by what they say, but by the pattern of their lives of the pattern of their lives. Jesus continues to describe two ways to live here. And here, he talks about two different trees and the resulting fruits. Many will claim to speak on his behalf, yet they are wolves in sheep's clothing. Their words flatter. Their actions speak loudly. They produce bad fruit. And in the end, we see their ultimate end of destruction. The warning is clear here from Jesus. Inspect and watch the lives of those who claim to speak for Christ and take heed to your own lives as well. So let's look here at verses 15 through 20. Our first point here as we think of how or the warning uh, for these who speak on behalf of Jesus is that first appearances can be deceiving. First appearances can be deceiving. Jesus goes right from talking about these two paths of living to verse 15. He says, beware of false prophets. That's the command, beware. Beware. That idea of beware is be on guard, be on the lookout. It's an active watching. It's not passive. It's active. Be Be on the lookout. Keep guard. Be on your toes. For what? For false prophets. False prophets. Now, the question is, does Jesus have someone in mind when he speaks of false prophets? I think in the immediate context, we know from the Gospels, the Pharisees and the Sadducees those religious leaders who should be pointing the people to God through the law of Moses and the sacrificial system, they themselves have disregarded and abdicated their responsibility. Now, they still have the position, but they aren't fulfilling the role. I I would consider them false prophets. But as you take a step back and look at the whole of Scripture, there's always been a group of people, a remnant, somebody who is claiming to speak on behalf of God but it's clearly not of God. False prophets fill the Old Testament. They sneak in. They come from the nation themselves. Think of the time in the desert as the Israelites were wandering. The rebellion and the people trying to lead the people astray. You have the, the bad kings who sought to lead the people astray. There's instances of of other false prophets in the Old Testament. So, while Jesus is speaking specifically here, I think of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the greater realization is that there's always going to be false prophets because God is always going to have an enemy until the final victory is won. He's always had them in the Old Testament. He has them here in the time of Jesus. And even now, going forward, in the time of, Paul, as Paul writes much of the New Testament and the other writers, they themselves warn against false teachers, against those who tickle the itching ears, right? Who are out for selfish gain. And that will continue until Christ comes back. So this is not something that is isolated here to the first century of Jesus' day, but is, is always present and will be until Christ returns. So we are called to beware of false prophets. Why? Why do we need to be on guard? Shouldn't they be easy to spot? No. Because Jesus says why. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. This is the idea of first appearances can be deceiving. These false prophets come to the people, and their initial appearance is one of being another sheep. Right? Sheep's clothing. It's the time of year when certain people dress up for a certain hol- holiday. And perhaps you were given candy from that holiday. But nobody is, nobody is wise to the fact or would see somebody think, oh my goodness, a real life pirate, right? Mario, the real Super Mario is here. No, All right? It's easy to spot. But these false prophets are different. They come in with the appearance of having the sheep's clothing. They are in a sense covered with the the skin of a sheep. They sneak in. The idea of camouflage, it's throughout nature as God has designed the animal kingdom to work. It's a a tactic to, to spring a surprise attack that they would be able to sneak into the midst and then all of a sudden ambush them. These false prophets have the appearance of being a sheep, of being a true follower of Jesus Christ. But inwardly, they are wolves. Wolves and sheep are contrasted. Wolves and sheep are, are the opposite, right? You have, in a sense, a peaceful sheep, a, a, a domesticated animal, and then you have a wolf that is wild and has that picture of evil, <laughs> of, of wickedness. And not only are they wolves, but they are ravenous wolves. It's describing their attitude and their character. Not only are they wolves, but they're ravenous. They're seeking Someone to be devoured. Ravenous is a term used the the idea of hunger, an insatiable hunger. Thanksgiving is coming up. I'm already thinking of the sides that we only eat this time of year, and devouring those things. (laughs) These wolves, these false prophets, sneak in with the appearance of being a fellow sheep, but yet they are there to devour. We must be on guard. We must be vigilant. We must be on our toes because those who creep in, who are false prophets, are not easily discerned at the very beginning. First appearances can be deceiving. They come in sheep's clothing with the appearance of being a father of Jesus. They look like you and I, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. They are seeking to devour the sheep. They are their natural enemy. And this is not... Someone who is ignorant. This is not someone who is uneducated or just doesn't know. These ravenous wolves do this on purpose. They do this with planning. They are cognizant of what they're doing. This isn't done out of ignorance. They look good. They talk good. And they have influence. But we need to be on guard against it. The world today as we take a step back and look at our own time, is full of people who claim to speak on behalf of God. Who claim to be born-again believers. Who have a ministry. They have TV shows. They sell books. They smile a lot. (laughs) But inwardly, they are not true believers. They are making a buck off of the people of God. That's a false prophet. That is someone who is not speaking the true gospel they are claiming it but they are not actual followers of god we must be on guard we must know that it's out there and today it's readily accessible through the internet through tv through media we must be careful they smile nice they wear Nice suits, they they have smooth tongues, they hold a Bible, but they are wolves. John says this in 1 John, believe 1 John 4, he says we must test the spirits to see that they are of God. We must test what we hear. It's like the Bereans in Acts 17. Paul shows up and he's preaching, and the Bereans say, Hold on, let's measure what you say against God's word. They were on guard, they were aware. So we must beware of false prophets knowing that on the outside, though they look good, on the inside, they could be a ravenous wolf. But balance is crucial here in the practical application of this. Balance is crucial. We dare not become paranoid, <laughs> right? We don't want to become so skittish that we're unable to receive encouragement and instruction from anybody else, Right? There are good, godly men and women who write books, who have uh, lesson curriculum that we can learn from, that we can be encouraged by. But we, like the Bereans, as I mentioned, must search the Scriptures and, and compare what they say with it. We don't want to become so skittish that we, we just hold up and, and think we have it figured out. No, but the idea is just to be cognizant, be aware. You must not be swept away by every wind of doctrine. Paul says in Ephesians 4, in, all cor- in our culture, even our, in our Christian subculture, we have a tendency to look for the next big thing, right? Oh, this is amazing. This, is, this, is, this book is amazing. This You have to read this. You have to read this. I find myself, the more and more I read, I'm reading older guys and guys who've been dead for a long time. <laughs> because so much of the recent stuff to a certain degree, it's already been said generally in a better way. Or it's such a passing fad that it doesn't really matter. But to be secure in what we believe and know and trust God's word rather than looking for something to hook our wagon to, let us stay rooted to God's word and his people knowing that False prophets will come along, and they will look good, but they are wolves in sheep's clothing. And one way, the main way, that we can see the outcome of their life is our second point the rest of our section this morning, is that their actions will speak louder than their words. So these false prophets, Jesus says, beware, they are wolves in sheep's clothing. Well, how how, how can you tell? What's the, the best way to identify them? Sometimes it's in their teaching. What they're teaching does not match with God's word, what we've received. But the greatest way that we can see a wolf in sheep's clothing is by looking at the pattern of their life. Jesus says in verse 16, you will recognize them by their fruits. So they sell fruit now? (laughs) Now that term fruits is the idea of what are they producing in their lives. He uses this illustration of trees and fruit which would be very common to the agrarian society of Israel. Fruit growing on trees would be something that everyone would be familiar with. In our agricultural uh, culture around us, our context, most people know that a healthy plant produces good fruit. And so you can see the health of a plant by the fruit that it produces, the grain that it produces, how healthy something is. So Jesus says, you will see these false prophets and you will recognize them, not necessarily by their words, so you may, but ultimately by their fruits. What are they producing? What is the path of their life? What is the pattern that they are setting? And Jesus uses several rhetorical questions. He says, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? And I just... as I read that, just thought it was a contrast. Now, you don't get grapes from thorn bushes and so on, but as I was reading a couple different commentators this week, it just brought to my mind, they mentioned it, that from a distance, a vine of thorns or, or would look similar to that, a vine of grapes, clusters of grapes, because from a far distance, you can see the, the dark fruit. All right, grapes, let's go. But you get closer, and you're like, those aren't grapes, those are Thorn bushes, (laughs) figs from thistles. At a distance, you might think it's one thing, but as you get closer, it is actually another. Jesus continues on in verse 17 so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. The tree that produces good fruit is not good because of the fruit that it produces. The tree that produces good fruit is good because of the inherent goodness or health of the tree. The fruit is the product of what the tree is. A false prophet produces bad fruit because they are a bad person. They are a sinful person. They are an enemy of God. Who they are on the inside is seen on the outside. Every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. Verse 18, Jesus doubles down. He says, a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruits. The point is, you can't look at somebody who has a pattern of their life that is completely contrary to God and say, yeah, but they're a good person. No, they're a sinner. They're a sinner. The pattern of their life points to that. And that's, that's hard for us to hear sometimes because we want to give the benefit of the doubt. And that, that's okay, you know, that's, that's not a bad thing to do. But as you look at the people in their li- your life who may claim to be a Christian, but you look at the pattern of their life, you think of what they say, how they live their life, the choices that they make, what they do, and you look at their lives, and it does not match what they say. It is not a wrong thing to say, I think you're wrong. Now, God ultimately knows the heart, but there is plenty of warnings in Scripture for us To hear what people say and look at the pattern of their lives and say, okay, something's not meshing. Something's not matching up. Now, we don't go around as the fruit police, (laughs) but we need to be aware. We need to be aware of the gospel with them. (laughs) Oh yeah, I know Jesus. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Then you look at the pattern of their life and it does not look like it. That is not reason to say, you're a hypocrite, but rather say, do you know the same Jesus that I know? Let's look at God's word together. It does not cause us to be judgmental, but rather to be moved with compassion to those who may be fooled. Every healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. James talks about this. James, in really much of his letter, talks about works and faith. Faith and works. And certain people love to go to this and see. well, see, this is... You know, you, you, have to, you have to do things to be saved. That's not what James is saying at all. James is saying that if you are truly a born-again believer, you will demonstrate it by your works, by your fruit in your life. One person said, uh, an author said this, that before God, we are justified by faith. And how do we demonstrate our justification before other people? It's by our works. We aren't justified by our works, but our faith is justified by our works. Meaning, we demonstrate that we have an inward change in us, that we are believing in Jesus Christ by how we live our lives. Paul says, we are a new creation. Behold, the old things have passed and all things have become new. There is a change in our lives. As we trust in Jesus Christ, and there will be a pattern of fruit in our lives as well. So we see this applied to false prophets, false teachers, but we can apply it to our own lives as well, which is right and good to do. Every false teacher, every disease tree, all bad fruit will make itself known. I think this is important as well. This is why getting to know people and being involved in each other's lives is crucial, especially in the life of a local church. Somebody who we don't know comes along and, okay, I'm a brother and sister in Christ and I want to I join here. Okay, let's take some time to get to know you. It's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. That's why we should trust people who we know over a period of time to receive teaching and instruction. And not just somebody, oh yeah, that sounds good, come on in. No, it's, it's the benefits of knowing someone for a period of time, of seeing their lives bear fruit. It's the benefit of being part of a local church for a long time, of being active in a local church. You may feel like, I don't know if I'm producing any fruit. <laughs> I look at my life and it's like, there's one little measly you know, apple down there and <laughs> I'd eat it if I had to. <laughs> From your perspective, but you talk to a brother and sister in Christ who knows you, who's seen you grow over years and say, you know what, from your perspective, (laughs) that might look like a little apple, but I can tell from where you were to where you are now, there is growth. I've seen fruit produced in your life. That's the benefit of knowing people over a period of time, of seeing that fruit produced, of being able to, to judge, see, okay, what is the pattern of their life, that their actions will speak just as loud as the words. Look at the the end of these false teachers. Verse 19, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down. If you owned an orchard and you had a tree and it didn't bear fruit, it'd be kind of hurting your bottom line, wasting space. You cut it down and you burn it to make room for a tree that would. Yesterday, when we were up at camp, One of the things that Pastor Dave brought up, said that would be coming here in the next four to five years is the emerald ash borer. It hasn't reached northern Iowa that much yet. If you're familiar with the emerald ash borer, it's a bug that gets into ash trees and kills them. So (laughs) a lot of them are being cut down. They're just dead. You can't escape it. Pastor Dave said there probably be four to five hundred trees that will die in the next four to five years. Four to five hundred trees. For a minute, I'm like, do we even have four to 500 trees on the campground? But yeah, along the lakeshore and everything, that's a lot. And so what are they going to do with those trees? Cut them down, chip them up, and burn them. And they're going to do it systematically. You got you to get in there. Right now, uh, they plant about 20 to 40 trees a year on the campground. Not all of them make it, but that's going to be crazy. If you cut down 400 to 500 trees in a span of four to five years, You got to plant a hundred trees a year to catch up. But if a tree is unhealthy and it's dead, you cut it down. It's not good and it will be burned up. The warning for these false prophets is that they will be cut down and thrown into the fire. John 15, when Jesus says, I'm the true vine, you're the branches, right? Abide in me and I in you. Every branch that does not bear fruit is cut off and cast into the fire. There is judgment on those who do not bear fruit because they are not a good tree. They are not a follower of Jesus. They are cut down. They are thrown into the fire. And Jesus says in verse 20, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. You will recognize these false prophets not necessarily by what they say, but the pattern of their life. Somebody who claims to follow Jesus Christ, yes, they must claim it with their words, they must demonstrate it with their lives. Now, does this mean that we will live a perfect life? No, not at all. But somebody who knows Jesus will be quick to confess sin and acknowledge it. They will be quick to turn and repent of it and to seek forgiveness from those they need to ask forgiveness. Excuse me, from. The pattern of their lives will be different than those who are wolves in sheep's clothing. So as we look at this passage, this section here, of two ways. You either end up being a fruitful tree or you are cut down and burned in the fire. You are either on the narrow way, which leads to life, or the way that leads to the destruction. Again, two ways to head here. But a few points of application for us this morning. First off, test what you hear against God's word and what you already know. I already kind of mentioned this. But as we are looking out for false prophets, test what you hear against God's word. God's word is the ultimate authority. Test what you hear against God's word and what you already know, what you've been taught. Our professors in college and seminary, as we were working through classes on exegesis and studying God's word, and they said, if you find something in the Bible that nobody else has ever seen For the last 2,000 years, you're probably wrong. (laughs) It's a good reminder. There is a tradition, a healthy tradition of faithful men and women studying the Word, writing about it, commentating, preaching sermons, teaching on the truthfulness of God's Word. That if you find some crazy thing that completely changes the landscape of the Christian faith, check your work. (laughs) Test what you know against God's word and what you already know. Be on guard. And as you're receiving teaching, remember this. Talking is easy. Proclaiming things about Christ is easy, but living it is hard. Don't be overtaken with fancy words and smooth presentations and fancy gimmicks. But look at the pattern of one's Life. Talking is easy, but living it is hard. What is the outcome? Unfortunately, there are several instances and illustrations over the past 10 or 15 years of men who rose to prominence in the Christian soul culture, who wrote books, who spoke at big conferences, but 10 years on, 15 years on, they're caught up in scandal and sin and sin and you see the ultimate pattern of their lives. It's sad. It's sad. But look at the pattern of their lives. Number three, take time to get to know people. Trust those you know more than those you don't know. I'm not talking about being paranoid as I mentioned before. But this happens in relationships. Somebody comes up to you and starts to speak about somebody you're good friends with and they said, they did this and they did that. Can you believe that? And Instantly, your mind goes, I know that person really well. That does not sound like them. And it's a good thing (laughs) to say, I'm not quite sure I believe you because I know that person you're speaking of, and I know them well, and that does not sound like them. Trust those you know more than those you don't. Where do you go for truth, encouragement, and instruction? Go to someone whose conduct you can see and who knows you there is great benefit in that and that's why i think god has designed the local church go to someone whose conduct you can see you look at people in our church family who have lived faithful lives to god go to them for instruction and encouragement and have you ever faced something like this rather than maybe going to youtube (laughs) go to somebody you know and you can see the pattern of their life over decades and say How have you been encouraged? How have you faced these difficulties of life? Encourage you to do that. And if you go to someone like that and they know you, they can give you direct encouragement, application to your situation. There's great benefit to that. Take time to get to know people. Trust those you know more than those you don't. Go to someone whose conduct you can see and who knows you. So as we think of following after Jesus, there will be those who sneak, who creep in, seeking to deceive. They are ravenous wolves. Their ultimate end is destruction. But as sheep, we are called to bear fruit, good fruit over the course and pattern of our lives. The validity of those who speak on behalf of Jesus will be known by the pattern of their lives as well as their words. So do we need to speak the gospel and proclaim it? Yes, but our lives must match what we say. May we take heed to our own souls. May we be on guard and beware, knowing that there are those seeking to devour others. But yet we can be like a tree planted, as it says in Psalm 1, with green leaves that bears fruit in its season, that is well watered and secured and is healthy. And that is a bastion, a stronghold, a place to proclaim the goodness of God to those around us. May we look to Christ and bear fruit on his behalf because of who we are in him. May our lives match what our words say. Father, thank you for your word this morning, the encouragement and challenge that it is. Lord, that we would look at the fruit in our own lives. Lord, first and foremost, to see what we are producing. Lord, help us to continue to grow, to mature, so that we can bear fruit that brings you honor and glory. Lord, we pray for wisdom as we interact with those who may claim Christ, but we don't know. Lord, as the information that we intake. Lord, that we'd be wise and discerning. And much more than looking at the content, so that's important, Lord, to looking at the pattern of the lives of those who are proclaiming it. And Lord, may we ultimately look to you. Lord, that you would guide and direct, give us wisdom as we seek to live lives that produce fruit for your honor and your glory. We pray this in Christ's name, Amen. I love you.